We're going to read verses 3 through 9. So we've been talking about this series called The Way We Worship. And I hope that it's been a challenge to you. And, and also we hope it's been instructional as well and edifying. Um, but we're going to really get into some cool stuff here today. And uh, this particular lesson is about the burnt offering and, and how they offered it. And I simply want to title this, The Smell of Devotion. And so again, from your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 1 and verse 3, we're going to read down to verse 9. It says, if his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. And he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. And he shall kill the bullock before the Lord, and the priests, Aaron's sons, shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood round about upon the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle. And he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into his pieces. And the sons of Aaron the priest shall put fire upon the altar and lay the wood in order upon the fire. And the priests, Aaron's sons, shall lay the parts, the head, the fat, in order upon the wood that is on the fire, which is upon the altar. But his inwards and his legs shall he wash with water. And the priest shall burn all on the altar to be a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. So this word burnt offering is actually one word in the Hebrew. And it's, it's, it's this word, it simply means ola or ola. That, that's, that's how it's pronounced in the Hebrew. And the term does not exactly mean burnt offering. It actually means what is brought up or presented to God. So that's the meaning of it. Now, the name is a descriptive phrase used elsewhere in Scripture where it talks about an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And so your Bible usually translates it as a burnt offering. So a burnt offering was the highest order of sacrifice in the Old Testament. There was no sacrifice that was higher or of more importance than this burnt offering. There were three kinds of animals that could be brought as burnt offerings as spelled out in Leviticus chapter 1. And it was, first of all, it was a bull. If, if all you had, if you had a bull, then you were required to offer it uh, as long as it met the qualifications for a burnt offering. Secondly, the second tier would be a sheep or goat. And then the third tier was a turtle dove or a pigeon. So the idea is that there was something for everybody to offer. It didn't matter if you were rich, and then you could offer a bull. Or if you were what we would call middle class, and you may not have had any bulls that met those qualifications, so all you had to offer was a sheep or a goat, then you could offer that. And the third tier was if you were poor, then all you could offer was a turtle dove or a pigeon. So only the rich could afford the bulls, the middle class could offer the sheep or the goats, and then the poor sacrificed turtle doves or pigeons. The offering in all cases was a real sacrifice. And the idea was it had to cost you something. It had to hurt a little bit. And sometimes it hurt a lot. You remember in 2 Samuel chapter 24, whenever David had sinned by numbering the people and God sent a plague. And while the angel was out destroying, you know, David said, I'm going to offer up a burnt offering. And he went to the threshing floor of Aruna. And, 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 and he told Aruna he wanted to buy it for 50 shekels of silver. And you remember what Aruna told him? No, 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 don't buy this land. Here, I'm going to, matter of fact, I'm not just going to give you the land. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you oxen as well for a burnt offering. And remember what David said. 
I can't do that because it's free. I can't offer something to God of that which doesn't cost me anything. So he was referencing what we know as Leviticus 1. He knew the law because he read the law. You know, kings were required to write the law every day of their life. Solomon had done that. He wouldn't have gotten into the trouble he had got into. But David probably likely did that, so he would write, write the law every day of his life. When he came to Leviticus 1, he knew, ah, this has to cost me something. And so that's the idea behind the burnt offering. There were two purposes of it. First of all, it provided a covering or an atonement for the offerer. Leviticus 1 and verse 4 says, And he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. So the first, the, the first idea that we get from the burnt offering is it pointed to the cross. It points to the cross. It points to how Jesus became our burnt offering. Amen. He, he, he became that atonement. The word atonement just means covering. He, he covered our sins. But secondly, it provided a smell or an aroma or fragrance to God. Look at Numbers 28 and verse 6 says, It is a continual burnt offering which was ordained. In Mount Sinai, for a sweet savor, a sacrifice made by fire unto the Lord. So the burnt offering symbolized two things. It symbolized the atonement or pointed to the cross, but it also symbolized our worship as a sweet savor or aroma to God. It was done twice a day. As I said last week, it was done in the morning, in the evening. It was to burn continually. It was the only thing besides the, the altar of incense that was burning continually to God. It was the only thing. It was an offering that was made by fire. It would took hours for that sacrifice to burn down. And as soon as it burned down, the priest would offer a new sacrifice. But it was also offered in times of special consecrations. For example, when the priests and Levites were consecrated, they had to offer a burnt offering. They had their own ceremony that they had to offer. Um, it was offered also in, for times of cleansing after giving birth. Yes, a woman was considered unclean and she gave birth. And so she would have had to offer a burnt offering. Uh, it was offered in times of cleansing of a leper. If a leper was cleansed or healed, whatever the case was, then he had to offer a burnt offering. It was offered for cleansing of a flow or a blood issue. Remember the woman that touched Jesus by the hem of his garment? And, and, and she had, the Bible calls it an issue of blood. She, had, she was bleeding, hemorrhaging constantly. She was unclean. But she said, if I may but touch the, the border or the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. And whenever she touched that, Jesus said, you are whole. Go and sin no more. So she would have had, if she was under the law, she would have had to offer a burnt offering for her cleansing. There, it was offered for the cleansing of the Nazarite defilement. So if you took on a Nazarite vow and, and you sinned by, uh, by touching something that was dead or unclean, then you could go and offer a burnt offering and be clean. Um, so it was done with the guilt offering or for wrongdoing done in error. It was also part of the first fruits offering. It was offered on the Sabbath day with the Sabbath offerings. It was offered uh, during the feast days or what, what, what the Jews called their holy meetings or biblical holidays. It was the offering done when they entered Canaan, in, which involved, also involved the burnt offering. It was a voluntary offering, which means anytime the worshiper wished to offer it, they could do that. The animal offered was to be free. From all diseases and blemished. There were priests that were set at the door. 
or doorkeepers, if you will, that inspected the sacrifices to make sure that there was no leprosy in that animal or that there was no, nothing that was unclean in that animal. They inspected the sacrifices. Every tiny little portion of that animal was inspected to make sure that it was truly free and, well, without blemish. The priest had to lay his hands on the head of the burnt offering first. The Hebrew word there for lay his hands upon means to press or lean upon. So, so what they did was not like what we do in when we pray, which is we just simply lay a finger or two on somebody's forehead. But they were actually pressing down upon that particular animal. And it was a tangible way of transferring whatever was in the heart onto the head of that animal. So whatever was in the, was in the heart of that priest or that, that particular offerer was symbolically transferred onto the head of the animal, whether it was guilt or thanksgiving. Because remember that there were two aspects of this. There was an aspect of atonement, but there was also an aspect of worship. So it wasn't always just about, Lord, I've sinned, I've messed up, I need to bring in a burnt offering. But sometimes it was about, Lord, I just want to say thank you for all you've done. And so in those cases, that priest would lay his hands upon the head or whoever was offering it. And it was a symbolic transfer of, I am thankful for what he's done for me. And they would press their hands upon the head of that animal. You know, in worship, we also press our hands up into the air and express the feelings of our heart to God in worship. Sometimes it's, oh God, I've sinned. I need help. But a lot of times it's, oh God, I'm thankful for what you've done for me. I bless your name because you're holy, because you've been good to me, because you saved me, because you went to Calvary. You went to the cross. So that's what we're doing in worship. The animal was then to be brought to the door of the tabernacle. And a lot of people have thought that the priest would actually was the one that was, that was going to kill the animal. But it wasn't. It was the offerer who was to kill it, not the priest. And they were to kill it on the north side of the altar. And then the priest would take its blood and sprinkle it on the sides of that brass altar. Not on top of it, but on the sides. Now, over the years, this brass altar would have literally been doused with blood. So whenever you were to look at that brazen altar, that brass altar, you would have seen blood sprinkled all around it. And you know what? Thank God we have a cross upon which our Lord was crucified that had his blood sprinkled upon it. Praise God. But the worshiper had to kill that animal. Now, if you've got a pet, you know how difficult this would be. I mean... There had to be some level of feeling toward those animals, even though they knew that they were probably bred for sacrifice. And so, so, it, so it was difficult from that sense, but I can't let somebody else kill my sacrifice. I have to bring it. It's my worship. It's my offering. It's what I want to bring unto the Lord. And sometimes, you know, we come into service and we, we kind of sit back and hope the worship team has it all together today. I hope they play the right song. I hope, you know, somebody gets up and cheers us real good. And what we're doing is we're kind of sitting back and waiting on the priest to kill the offering. But God said, I want you to kill your offering. I want you to bring it up. And, 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 and the priest, would, you know, they would take a knife and they would slit its throat and the priest would take that that bowl, and allow its blood to drain in that bowl. And that's what he would use to sprinkle from the sides of the altar. Uh, but, but, but it's my sacrifice. I have to bring it to God. It's my worship. 
and I have to bring the sacrifice. The animal was then flayed or skinned, and it was cut into pieces. And the pieces were then placed upon the wood on the altar. And the skin was only what was left to the priest. That animal was, was, was literally slaughtered in the most horrendous way. Cut into pieces. And you know, when you look at the Lord, the Bible says of him that when he was crucified, his visage was so marred that he was unrecognizable. He was crucified in the most horrendous way as that animal pointed to how Christ would be crucified. But the inwards, or the inwards, or the intros and legs, the priest had to take out and wash with water. All what we would call the guts of the animal. And, and he, he would wash those intros with water and make them clean before the Lord and free from contamination. Because God wants our insides clean. Worship requires a cleansing. It requires clean hands and clean hearts. That's why we have the instruction in Timothy where he said, lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting. It's not hands that are contaminated with the world, but it's hands that are free from guilt to God. That we're lifting up those hands to God because our hearts have been made clean. When David sinned with Bathsheba and he committed murder in the, in the same day, and then Nathan came and he pointed to uh, to David after he put, told him that little parable and said, Thou art the man, David fell on his face. And at some point, he prayed this in Psalm 51 and verse 6. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you shall make me to know wisdom. That word inward parts from the Hebrew is tukah. And it references, watch this, it means the kidneys. Or the most inward parts as representative, represented by the kidneys. Now, what's, what's special about the kidneys? Because when you look at somebody from the front, if I'm looking at Andrew, if I could open his, his gut up, his stomach, and look straight at him, I could not see the kidneys because the kidneys are where? Nurses. They're in the back. You go without drinking water for a couple weeks and drink only garbage, and your body will tell you where your kidneys are at because they will start hurting. And so David was praying for that hidden part of him to be clean that only God knew about that he himself could not even see. But more than that, the kidneys' job are to free the body of toxins and cleanse the blood. Bad kidneys cause death. There's something called chronic kidney disease, the gradual loss of kidney function. Dangerous levels of fluid and electrolytes and waste build up in your body. In the early stages of kidney disease, you may have little to no symptoms at all. But once it develops into chronic kidney disease, they may become so impaired until your kidney, uh, sorry, chronic kidney disease may not become apparent until your kidney function is significantly impaired. And then you'll start to have those symptoms. It's a slow fade when you let sin into your life. And when one small little sin leads to another, and before you know it, you're not being washed again daily by the Spirit and the Word. Interestingly enough, kidneys function primarily on the things that we drink. If you don't get enough water, it will, over time, impair your kidneys. I read one particular article that said even diet soda, when drinking, when consumed more than 12 ounces a day, can cause kidney function over a process of several years. 
So if you don't get enough water, it will in time impair your kidneys and in time your whole body becomes contaminated with toxins. Your, your body is literally dying from the toxins that are inside of it. And Ephesians 5 and 26 says this, that he might sanctify it, meaning the body, and cleanse the body with the washing of water by the word. There's a great allegory there that's pointing to our spiritual bodies, how God cleanses the body with the washing of water by the word. And just as the kidneys cleanse the body, so the word washes us clean and makes us free from contamination. The preached word. Thank God for the preacher that when something that's, you know, I've got sin in my life, but the preacher preaches a word and heavy guilt or, uh, you know, falls upon me or, uh, or rather conviction. And I come to the altar and lift my hands and just like that, God lifts it. That's, the, that's when the word of God finds its way into us and cuts out the things that are wrong. But there's the written word, time daily spent in the written word of God. And there's time in prayer spent with the living word. We've got to have a daily washing, a daily cleansing. We need to have our sacrifices washed today to be acceptable with God. The entire burnt offering was to be completely burnt up. It was offered all upon the altar. In the same manner, if we offer up anything less than our entire selves, we are not worshiping in the scripturally prescribed way. This is the sin of Nahab and Abihu, was they offered to God strains of fire. And we've got a whole, a whole group within Christianity that wants to come and play, play our songs and beat on the drums. And then now they've even got praise dancers, but they don't. Uh, but, but they're not living a holy life. And God said, if you don't offer the entire burnt offering, then it is strains of fire. We've got to be completely surrendered to the Lord. Leviticus 1 and 13 says, But he shall wash the inwards and legs with water, and the priest shall bring it all and burn it upon the altar. It is a burnt offering, an offering made by fire, a sweet savor unto God. And the last point I want to bring out is this. The altar of incense put up, put up obviously, a certain incense. The altar of incense was inside the tabernacle. And that represents our prayers. But this altar... The brazen altar put up, not incense, but smoke. The smoke bellowing up from the altar represented the heart and the drawing close of the worshiper to God. And remember, that white linen fence that was around the tabernacle was about seven and a half feet tall. So nobody outside the tabernacle could see what was going on inside the tabernacle. But that smoke served... As a physical sign that God had accepted their offering. They could see it and they could smell it. And God could smell it too. And it was the smell of devotion and consecration. And that's what our worship should smell like to God. And if we're worshiping something and if we're worshiping God and we are not completely devoted to God. Then it's not the smell of devotion. It's the smell of hypocrisy. Our hearts have to be set on the Lord. It symbolized the worshiper was washed and given holy to Jehovah God. Look at Exodus 29 and 19. And thou shalt burn the whole ram upon the altar. It is a burnt offering unto the Lord. It is a sweet savor, an offering made by fire to the Lord. Contrast that where he said <clears throat> that burnt offering was a sweet savor to 2 Corinthians 2 and 15 where he said this, for we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved, and in them that perish. He said, God makes us a sweet savior to the church and to the world. You know, remember what it was like before you were saved? 
if you were an adult when God saved you, you were probably a horrible neighbor. I mean, you were probably, of, you know, on, on some level, you, know, you, you may have been that person that everybody complained about. But after you're saved, it's different. And they can see a difference. You see, our worship is a sweet Savior to God, and it should be a lifestyle in worship. But to the outsiders, they can smell our lifestyle. You ever came outside on a hot summer day and smelled somebody barbecuing? Oh, man. I smell steak and chicken and hot dogs and burgers and, and roasted corn. And it smells good and makes me want to go to their house and eat with them. That's what they would have smelled on the outside of the tabernacle. They smelled that meat burning on the, it wasn't a barbecue grill, but it was kind of like that because the skin was taken off. And, 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 and God said in Exodus, it was a sweet savor. So it would have smelled nice. It would have smelled an aroma like, like grilled meat. And so to the outsiders, that's how our lifestyle should be. Holiness has a fragrance to it. And worldliness has a stench. Holiness has a fragrance and worldliness has a stench. To the world, our worship and the lifestyle that we live should draw people to God and make them hungry. It should make them want to pull up to the table and sup with us with Christ. Amen. It should make them hungry for God. The way we live our lives should make the world hunger and thirst after godliness and after his, uh, his, his spirit. And lastly, as I close in this, let's stand. Just as the fire was never to go out from the brazen altar, so our fire is never to go out from our life. It was to continually burn. The third hour and the ninth hour likely is when it was. Every morning and every evening. Every morning and every evening. It would have taken all day to, uh, to burn that bullock upon the altar. It would have taken them all day. Let me tell you this. If your fire has gone out, it's simply because you've left off the sacrifice. If your fire in your worship and the fire in your lifestyle has gone out, it's because the sacrifice is simply not on the altar. But you know what? That's an easy thing to remedy. Because all we have to do this morning is lift our hands and begin to say, Lord, I give you my whole self, all of my mind, all of my heart, all of me, God. There's no part that I'm, that I'm hiding from you. I'm laying it bare before you, and I'm offering you all of myself. And as we do that, you'll start to feel the fire begin to return again to your life. Amen. And the things that you once used to do, you're going to do those things again. And God's going to put some intense burning desires in your heart and a call on your life. Amen. Why don't we do that this morning? Let's lift our hands and let's thank God for his word. Let's offer to God our whole self. Lord, we give all of ourselves to you.